Hello, everyone. Thank you for taking time out for this session. Welcome to Dev320, driving DevOps transformation in enterprises. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the DevOps model. I'll introduce a few DevOps practices. I'll also demonstrate a few of these DevOps practices using a set of AWS tools. I hope by the end of this session, you will be able to take away a few of these practices and start applying these practices in your enterprise and start benefiting from these practices the way everyone else has been. I am Rahul Golati, Product Manager for AWS OpsWorks. AWS OpsWorks is a fully managed service for Chef Automate and Puppet Enterprise. Chef and Puppet are configuration management engines. These are open source engines while Chef Automate and Puppet Enterprise are the commercial offerings. To simply put, OpsWorks is to configuration management engine what Amazon RDS is to database management services. We also offer OpsWorks Stacks, which lets you manage applications and servers and helps you model these applications and servers using stacks and layers. You can also automate operations using Chef inside OpsWorks Stacks. AWS OpsWorks is part of AWS management tools, which includes provisioning services like CloudFormation, monitoring services like CloudWatch, and operations and compliance management services like Config and CloudTrail. So let's get started. Over the last few years, thanks to cloud computing and AWS in general, there has been a consumerization of IT. Today, developers are able to consume software on demand as compared to the older days where they had to sign up for complex licensing agreements. There are no multi-year lock-ins. You can pay as you go. By simply pulling out your credit card, you can subscribe to one of the AWS services. In terms of decision-making, the entire process has now been decentralized. Today, developers are the decision makers, and they get to decide which tools and applications they want to use, instead of central committees deciding for developers and their entire organization. While developer productivity has gone up, provisioning software and infrastructure has become easier, operations, especially in enterprises, has become complex. Operations teams are now expected to keep up with the rapid pace of changes that developers typically make. They are also expected to keep up with the variety of environments that exist. Over time, this leads to both developers and operations operating in silos. Developers tend to care more for shipping features and enhancements, while operations typically cares more for the stability of infrastructure. They have their own needs, they have their own goals, and there is a lack of shared goals. Due to the friction between these two important functions inside enterprises, enterprises ship software at a pretty low velocity. Low velocity leads to unhappy customers because enterprises are typically unable to ship at a high velocity, and whenever they do, they do not satisfy the needs of customers who have been waiting for months and weeks for a certain functionality. 
while customers are becoming unhappy, startups and other enterprises with agile engineering teams are able to innovate at faster clips. They're not only able to innovate at faster clips, they also get to the distribution that enterprises have usually control over last few decades. So what's the way out? What if I told you that with DevOps, you could transform your enterprise into an enterprise with superpowers? Superpowers that include continuous delivery of value to customers, having automation instead of manual check-ins, keeping auditors off your back by automating compliance, and promoting collaboration between operations and developers instead of them working towards their individual goals. Eventually, you can focus on what really differentiates your enterprise, such as analyzing petabytes of data, delivering video content, building mobile apps, delivering financial services, or building Internet of Things. Let's look at a few benefits of DevOps and what, how other companies have benefited from DevOps. Number one, speed. DevOps encourages practices like microservices and continuous delivery. As teams take ownership of services and release updates to these services faster, enterprises get to the market faster. You get to reduce the lead time between committing code to deploying code. You also get to reduce the lead time between fixes. This helps you operate at high velocity and innovate for customers faster. Number two, rapid delivery. With practices like continuous innovation and continuous delivery, I'm sorry, continuous integration and continuous delivery, you're able to automate your software release process. You're able to improve your deployment frequency. While the first benefit, speed, is about reducing the lead times, rapid delivery is about increasing the deployment frequency. The quicker you can release new features and fix bugs, the faster you can respond to changing market needs. Moving fast need not always lead to breaking things. You still need to ensure the quality of your applications. You also need to ensure the quality of your infrastructure. With practices like automated testing, you can reduce dependency on manual checks. Typical metrics to look at this stage are your raw incidence count, as well as the mean time to resolution. As you adopt automation, you will see that the mean time to resolution for common occurring customer issues goes down dramatically. While with practices like monitoring and logging, you get operational insights of your infrastructure and track changes in real time. Fifth, sorry, fourth, scale. With practices like infrastructure as code and configuration as code, you can provision infrastructure in a repeatable and more efficient manner. With configuration as code, you're able to apply configuration changes consistently and continuously. You're able to manage complex applications that are growing fast with reduced risk. DevOps promotes a culture of ownership and accountability. This leads to developers and operations teams collaborating together, sharing responsibility, and combining their workflows. By using tools for issue tracking, internal team wikis, and pre-flight checklists, you promote collaboration between the two functions. And you will notice that the handover time between devs and ops is reduced 
vastly. Lastly, security. With practices like policy as code, you can automate compliance policies and controls. This helps you enhance your security postures, and you can define and track compliance at scale. Now that we have seen a few benefits of DevOps, let's look at some data. DevOps Research and Assessment recently published the state of DevOps for 2018. Elite performers have 46 times more frequent code deployments. They have 2,500 times faster lead time from commit to deploy. Their change failure rate is about a seventh. And they're about 2,600 times faster when it comes to recovering from incidents. And these are the benefits that you will get to receive once you start applying DevOps practices in your enterprise. So what is DevOps? Is it a bird, a plane, or is it just about getting, or, or is it just about using a tool to ship code? There is no one right answer. At AWS, we consider DevOps as the combination of three things, cultural philosophies, practices, and tools. Just because you use a tool, say, for automated testing, does not mean that you have adopted DevOps completely. Ultimately, by combining these three practices, your goal is to ship software to your customers and deliver software to your customers at a very high velocity. So how does DevOps look like in practice? The idea is that there is an automated delivery pipeline so that your changes from your enterprise to your customers are built, tested, and released automatically. On the other hand, you get to monitor your infrastructure, you get to monitor your customer feedback, and based on the customer feedback and the state of your infrastructure and compliance, you're able to plan for the next set of changes. Again, there are three components to DevOps. All three of them are equally critical. Just using tools is not going to help you in the long run. Let's look at these components in detail. Culture. Transitioning to DevOps requires a change in culture and mindset. You have to facilitate continuous learning and experimentation. And how do you encourage collaboration between the two teams, which are developers and operations, is by conducting regular retrospective meetings between the two so that they have a common forum to discuss the present state of infrastructure, where they would want to be, and what are the mistakes that they would like to fix. They also get to discuss and create a feedback loop between the two functions. You do that typically through issue tracking, internal team wikis, and pre-flight checklists. Another great idea about encouraging collaboration is to have blameless postmortems, where the idea is not to pin down blame on developers or operations, but have an objective way of fixing problems. The way to encourage collaboration and experimentation also includes having game days. This is something that is commonly practiced inside AWS, where you get to simulate certain worst-case scenarios. And once you're able to simulate these worst-case scenarios, you're able to deal with them when they actually happen in a much more efficient way. Werner likes to say, you build it, you run it. We often hear developers say that, hey, this thing works on my machine. I do not know what happened in staging. 
or I do not know what happened in fraud. In the older way, or in the traditional model, developers take the software to the wall that separates developers and operations, throw it over, and then forget about it. In the new model, you bring developers into contact with operations. Once they are in contact with operations, they are able to visualize the impact of their changes. With monitoring and logging, they are also able to see the customer feedback. And they, they can monitor customer feedback. And all in all, this helps you improve the velocity of your delivery. Let's look at a few tools, which is the second component of the DevOps model. There are plenty of tools out there. I like to think of the independent software vendor market as like a breakfast buffet. You have plenty of choices, and there is low cost of experimentation. You can pick and choose what you like. You can experiment quickly. You can run prototypes for a few weeks. If you like it, you keep it. If you do not like it, you move on to another tool. Ultimately, tools are means to an end. Just by adopting a tool does not mean that you're DevOps compliant. And you can consume these tools in different manner. Uh, you can use fully managed services if you do not want to deal with uh, op daily operations of, or weekly operations of operating these tools. Or if, you're, if you want to intimately operate these tools, then you can also do a direct install on your EC2 instances or, or on the on-prem instances. Let's talk about DevOps practices. Microservices. Microservices is essentially a design approach that helps you build a single application as a set of small services. For example, this is how a typical monolith application looks like. There are multiple components inside it. There is a bunch of spaghetti code. If you break one component, the entire system typically goes down. The idea of microservices is to decouple your monolithic application into smaller manageable units to get. And once you have smaller manageable units, independent services running, you're able to also isolate your infrastructure. And once infrastructure is isolated and there are more safety checks built in, you can release software incrementally instead of having big bang releases. Another benefit of using microservices is that you can manage software with two pizza teams. That's, again, a practice which is commonly followed inside AWS, where the idea is to have really small teams, but they completely own a particular service. And once they completely own a, a particular service, they're able to build more predictability and reliability into the service. And they're completely responsible for running those services. Microservices are built around capabilities where each service serves a single business purpose. There is no right way to uh, demantle your uh, monolithic application into microservices. Typically, what we see is the Conway's law in action. Conway's law tells us that an organization produces design whose structure is the copy of organization's communication structure. So you may end up breaking a monolithic application into microservices that reflect your communication structure. Back in 2001, Amazon.com used to be a single monolithic application. And over eight years, we worked really hard to break down this monolithic application into a set of microservices. 
For example, the shopping cart icon that you see on Amazon.com is a, is a microservice of its own. Now let me talk about the third practice, which is infrastructure as code. Infrastructure as code is about extending software development practices to operations. Once you describe infrastructure as code, you benefit from versioning. You can recreate your environments repeatedly and consistently. You can also track changes. And more importantly, knowledge is no longer restricted inside operations. Knowledge is shared between development teams and operations. Also, developers now need not wait for operations teams to provision an infrastructure for them. Because now there are these pre-approved templates, for example, CloudFormation templates that you can rely on to provision your development environment or your staging environment. There is more reliability baked into the way you deliver software. Also, it turns out to be a self-documented code process, which means that just by looking at the piece of snippet for infrastructure as code, you can figure out how your infrastructure is going to look like. Let's look at a common scenario. This is Bob. Bob is an operations engineer. He works for an IT operations team. The IT operations team works with three different development teams, Alpha, Beta, Charlie. Each has its own development needs. In the old way, Bob would be able to keep up with changes manually. But in the new way, when developers are now able to provision infrastructure easily, he needs to have something in place which is automated and repeatable. Now, in the new way, he would have a CloudFormation template specifically for the beta development team and for its staging environment. Now, if an engineer inside the beta development team wants to have a staging environment, all they have to do is to provision infrastructure using the pre-approved template by Bob. This, this reduces the risk dramatically. Now you have a single code repository which acts as a single source of truth. And you're able to give environments that developers need at a faster clip. To give you an example, here's how a typical CloudFormation template would look like. You describe an EC2 instance. You, you uh, also define an EBS volume in here. And you define the mount points. You define the volume size. And then you let CloudFormation do the execution bit and provision these two pieces of uh, compute and volume together. Infrastructure as code, as a practice, can also be extended to configuration as code. While infrastructure as code is about provisioning your infrastructure, configuration as code is about describing what kind of configurations will be on your instances using the similar practices that we have seen so far. Again, you benefit from sharing the knowledge between your organization. You can also define your policy as code. We'll get to see these uh, in a bit. Third, let's talk about continuous delivery. In a traditional software model, although developers are able to make changes rapidly, the time-consuming process is the trans transition between stages. More often than not, you would see someone fix an issue or 
ship out an enhancement in a matter of few hours, but it takes multiple days for proper environments to be provisioned. And it typically takes weeks before the value gets to your customers. Continuous delivery practice allows you to automate your entire delivery process. When done right, developers will always have a deployment-ready build artifact that has passed through a standard testing process. Continuous delivery also includes continuous integration and automated testing. Continuous integration is the practice where developers regularly merge their code into a central repository, after which automated builds and tests are run. While with automation, uh, automated testing, you're able to test each change, and you're able to test the functionality for each change. You can also automate your UI tests, load tests, integration tests, and API tests. Ultimately, the goal is to address bugs quicker, improve your software quality, and reduce the time it takes to deliver software. Now let me show you some of these practices in action using a set of AWS tools. I'll now switch to my console. I'll start by going to the management console and search for a service called OpsWorks. Before I get into this, let me also give you an overview of the architecture that we'll end up having. For that, I need to go back to my slides. We are going to use OpsWorks for Chef Automate. We are going to use EC2 auto-scaling. I'll also use code commit, code build, and code pipeline for efficient delivery of cookbooks to my centralized Chef server. I'll start by provisioning a Chef Automate server. Then I'll bootstrap a bunch of EC2 nodes. I'll apply auto-scaling on it. And these nodes will report to my centralized Chef Automate server. Next, I will use code pipeline to deliver cookbooks, or in simpler words, configuration changes to my centralized Chef server. Next, we'll get to see Chef compliance and Amazon CloudWatch in action for monitoring and logging. Now I'd like to go back to my console. And yes, now you can see the Chef uh, Automate console in here. I'll start by creating a Chef Automate server by clicking on that blue button. I'll give it a name. I'll let the default settings be there. I will not use SSH for logging in. I'll rather rely on knife commands, which is a Chef utility for me to interact with Chef server from my workstation. I'll stick to the basic default settings for network and security. I'll also stick to the default settings for system and system maintenance, but you can define a maintenance window to a time that works for your uh, convenience. I'll also not increase the number of backups. I'm fine with 10 backups being created for me. I'll review the summary. 
and I'll launch a Chef Automate server. Well, Chef Automate server is being provisioned, there are a couple of important steps in here. You will see this Download Credentials button that lets you download credentials for logging into the Chef Automate dashboard. You will also get to see the starter kit. The starter kit has a pre-configured Chef repository as well as EC2 user data. With this EC2 user data, I can easily bootstrap my nodes to a central Chef Automate server. My starter kit also contains a bunch of readme files so that I'm aware of how the directory structure is going to look like. In the benefit of time, I'll go back to an existing Chef Automate server. Once the Chef Automate server is provisioned, I can open Chef Automate dashboard. And I can look at my nodes, which were bootstrapped earlier. It gives me a good overview of which EC2 instance IDs are bootstrapped to my Chef Automate server. I can also filter my nodes based on a number of categories in here. Now I'll go back to EC2. To bootstrap nodes with my Chef Automate server, I have defined a launch configuration. My launch configuration has an Opsux CM EC2 profile. I'm not using any keys because I do not want to enable SSH access. And more importantly, it has user data. If you look at this user data, it has details about my Chef Automate server. It includes certain endpoints. And it also talks about which client versions should be installed on those EC2 nodes. Once launch configuration is up and running, I'll go to my auto-scaling group and pick up this launch configuration. I'm calling it my staging ASG because I want to bring up a fleet of uh, staging servers. Now I'll get back to the EC2 instance view, and you'll get to see that by defining launch configuration and by defining auto-scaling groups, I was able to bring up a set of staging instances that are hooked to the Chef Automate server that I brought up earlier. Next, I'll get to code pipeline. The purpose of creating a code pipeline is that I want to deliver high-quality cookbooks or configurations to my Chef Automate server. Here's how a pipeline would typically look like for delivering configuration changes. It talks to a source repository. In this particular case, my source repository happens to be the starter kit that I downloaded earlier. In the second stage, I'm going to go through code build. Code build will use a chef utility called FoodCritic. FoodCritic is responsible for basic syntax checks and linting. 
once those tests pass, I have a manual approval in, in place. In fact, manual approval is what differentiates continuous deployment from continuous delivery. If I did not have manual approval in here, I would have a, basically a continuous deployment pipeline. Lastly, once I make an approval, the configurations will be uploaded to my centralized Chef server. Now let me go back to code commit where I had uploaded my starter kit earlier. I'll go to repositories. This is my starter kit. And the file of interest here is a file called Burks file. Let's have a look at Burks file. As you can see here, Burks file contains a source and a set of cookbooks. Source tells me where should these cookbooks be sourced from. In this case, it turns out to be supermarket, which is the community tool by Chef where a lot of, supermarket, uh, a lot of cookbooks are hosted. There are a bunch of cookbooks already in there. Now, for the purposes of this demo, I want to install an NTP cookbook on my staging instances so that the clocks on my staging instances are in sync. To do so, I'll edit the Burks file. And I'll say cookbook NTP. Advanced users can also define versions. For example, you want to use a particular version of Apache 2 or Nginx, you can define that as well. I'm going to commit this change. Once my change is committed, I'll go back to my pipeline. Now, this is where you will get to see the benefit of having an automated release process. Once you commit a, uh, commit a change inside code commit, code pipeline will automatically pick up that change and start building it. Now, code commit is pulling up the latest changes that I've made and is will pass it on to code build in the next step. Let me also give you an overview of what happens inside code build and in, in these two stages in particular. So I have two code build projects. First project is about testing my configuration, while the second is about uploading configuration to the Chef Automate server. Like I said earlier, I'm going to use FoodCritic for basic linting. I go inside my build project, and let me also show you the build YAML and how it looks like. Typically, you would drop your build YAMLs inside your repository so that cold build can pick it up automatically. This is my first uh, build spec. This is responsible for uh, running FoodCritic. All it's telling FoodCritic is to run a set of tests against all the cookbooks that are inside this folder, which is called site cookbooks. My second build spec is responsible for depackaging 
the starter kit that I uploaded on S3 earlier. Once it is able to depackage the starter kit, it will be able to access the credentials inside the starter kit. With those credentials, CodeBuild can upload cookbooks to the Chef Automate server. The relevant commands here are Burks install and Burks upload. Burks install will install the cookbooks in the cache, and Burks upload will upload the cookbooks to the Chef server. Now let's go back and look at code pipeline. Now I can see the build stage has gone through. The configuration has been tested. It looks good. And the wheel is spinning for approval. You can also use IAM settings to limit access to code pipeline so that only certain people can have approval privileges. If I'm the administrator, I would want to check what has changed and what is going out in terms of configuration changes. I review the change, and I'm good with it. So I'll just say approve. And what will happen now is that the build spec upload YAML that we saw earlier will depackage S3 um, bucket that I have and upload the cookbook to Chef Automate server. It usually takes about a minute for, uh, for, 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 for uh, the cookbook to be uploaded to Chef Automate server. Now, what you can see here is that I have implemented continuous delivery of cookbook changes, and I've also implemented automated testing in my uh, infrastructure changes. I'm also using configuration as code. So with this small demo, I'm able to demonstrate three or four practices that I talked about earlier. To verify my changes, I'll go to my shell. And although it's still uploading, um, although it hasn't uploaded yet, so we'll wait for few more seconds. I'm going to say knife cookbook list to see the list of cookbooks that are already there on my Chef Automate server. So it seems that the NTP has already been installed although for some reason the, the wheel is still spinning in here. So let me refresh to kind of see uh, if it's cached or not. Yeah, so the upload process went through, which is why we get to see NTP as being installed on my Chef Automate server. Now when the next Chef client run happens on my staging infrastructure, all my instances inside the staging uh, uh, infrastructure will have this particular cookbook. I'll go back to my slides now. 
And I'll also uh, talk a bit about Amazon CloudWatch and why it is important to use monitoring and logging for DevOps. With key system metrics such as latency and response times, certain metrics, certain metrics and data points should always be visible to your teams. And what I'll do is I'll show you a simple CloudWatch dashboard so that you can share a certain dashboard with, the, with, the, with your entire team. I'll go back to my console for that. Now, if I want to monitor how my staging fleet looks like, I just need to go to this dashboard, and I can see CPU utilization and other key metrics. For policy as code, I will rely on Chef Compliance. There is a compliance tab that I'll go to to see the state of compliance of my staging fleet. As you can see, my system is not compliant. And now I want to figure out why the system is not compliant. I look at the profile status. It gives me a bunch of information. And now I'll go to my profile. So what I did earlier is that I installed a DevSec profile. And it seems that all my nodes do not have that uh, DevSec profile in place. And to do so, all I need to do is, uh, or rather to remediate this, I need to install an SSH hardening cookbook. And once I do that, and the next uh, chef client run happens, all my nodes will be remediated, and this profile error that we see right now will go away. I'll go back to the slides now. So what we have seen so far is that you're able to continuously deliver cookbook changes to your Chef Automate server. You're able to automatically test your changes. You're also able to share monitoring and logging information across your team. You also have a good overview of how your compliance and security posture looks like. And you know what to do to remediate the errors that you're seeing right now. So let me do a quick recap. So, so far we have learned about DevOps as a combination of three key things, culture, practice, and tools. Culture promotes a culture of ownership and accountability. If you build it, you run it. Practices include infrastructure as code, microservices, and continuous delivery. And tools, you can pick and choose. Again, tools are just means to an end, and you can pick and choose whatever you feel like. Whatever I have done so far, if you want to do it yourself, you can follow a couple of these blog posts. You can accomplish the same for Puppet Enterprise as well. Sorry, let me go back. If you want to take or note down the URL. So that's a wrap from my end. Thank you so much for your time. If you have any questions, there's going to be a meet and greet. And I'm looking forward to answering some of your questions. Thank you.